So very traumatic experience that kind of led me to thinking about how do you use technology to increase access to help resources, specifically for young underrepresented women and doing so in a way that makes them feel comfortable. This is the I Make a Living podcast brought to you by FreshBooks, the number one cloud accounting solution for small business owners and their teams. I'm your host, Damona Hoffman, and I'm one of you, an entrepreneur whose personal challenges have impacted my professional pursuits. This year is coming to an end, and so too is this chapter of our collective entrepreneurial journey. With a light finally at the end of this pandemic tunnel, we are drawing the season to a close today with an inspiring conversation with an entrepreneur who found her professional path after a harrowing personal experience. Today's episode is a celebration of entrepreneurs who confront the world's biggest challenges. It's also a collaboration with Bumble Fund. You may know Bumble as a dating app, but they also have built communities for friends at Bumble BFF and for business at Bumble Biz. Sybil Zhang is Bumble's Strategy and Social Impact Associate Director. In her role, she connects Bumble Biz users to its mission and values through social impact initiatives, including Bumble Fund, an early stage corporate investing vehicle. Since day one, Bumble was founded with equality in mind. Bumble's founder and CEO, Whitney Wolf Hurd, constantly would receive pitches from women entrepreneurs who would ask her to invest in or provide advice for the companies that they were creating. The team at Bumble looked at the stats. And according to their sources, women entrepreneurs received only 2.7% of venture capital in 2019. And that number drops even lower for Black, Latinx, and other women from underrepresented groups. We knew at Bumble that we wanted to move the needle on the statistic and to focus our efforts on those who are least represented in the venture capital ecosystem. Thus, Bumble Fund was born in 2018, only four years after the company was founded. Bumble Fund is Bumble's seed and early stage corporate venture investing vehicle, focusing primarily on businesses founded and led by women of color and those from underrepresented groups. Today, we're talking to one of the promising entrepreneurs that the Bumble Fund has chosen to spotlight, Crystal Ivalocha. This year, Crystal was awarded Forbes 30 Under 30 in healthcare for her focus on mental and primary healthcare services for college-age women through her company, Kira Health, a virtual HIPAA-compliant women's health clinic. So I make a living by connecting young women to trusted clinicians via telemedicine. That seems like such a useful service, especially at a time like this, but... I imagine you don't just one day figure out that everyone is going to need telemedicine and healthcare in the year 2020 when a pandemic is going to hit. You came into this from a personal experience, right? So I started Kara based on a very personal experience, like you just said. Um, I had moved to the U.S. in 2010 for college from my home country, Nigeria. And so I came here as an international student. And in that time, you know, coming from a super conservative background, not really having a lot of intro into women's health issues or even discussing certain things, I didn't feel comfortable seeking professional medical advice. But, you know, a certain time I felt really bad pain in my stomach. I tried to book a visit at my campus health center, but I couldn't. And in that process, I went back to the infamous Dr. Google um, (laughs) and started searching everything online. So I started self-medicating. Now, a few days after I felt extreme pain, I actually passed out. 
And I was rushed to the hospital for emergency surgery on a very, very different condition from, of course, everything I found online. So very traumatic experience that kind of led me to thinking about how do you use technology to increase access to health resources, specifically for young underrepresented women, and doing so in a way that makes them feel comfortable. Dr. Google, that will send you down a whole rabbit hole. I can't (laughs) tell you how many times I have diagnosed and misdiagnosed myself by talking to Dr. Google. (laughs) But when you were in college, you weren't even thinking you were going to go into healthcare right? This was a whole new experience that then made you inspired to pursue this. How did it begin even in those early phases? Yeah. I mean, in those early phases, I absolutely did not think I was going into healthcare. I mean, I've always been entrepreneurial. So I started my first company while I was in college. And, you know, in that process, you know, I was like, how do I make a huge impact based on this experience that I then had? So became a health advocate on campus, started to encourage folks to participate in their own health care. And shortly after, I decided, well, this is something I could do, but the timing had to be right, right, based on graduating from college and then eventually going into this space. So what happened was I ended up thinking about the concept, which was more just simply connecting folks to experts via text or like a chat-based platform, rather the same way you would go on Dr. Google or the internet, just generally, and type in a question about your health, you would go to our app, which was the MVP at the time, to type in questions and get a list of different experts. So like I said, different OBGYNs, uh, women's health nurse practitioners, certified nurse midwives, mental health experts. So the you know psychiatrists, licensed manager, family therapists, and so forth. And they were all available 24-7 to answer questions that folks had via chat. So that's the first product that we created. The MVP, Minimum Viable Product, is the version of your product that you use to collect the data that will help you build the product of your dreams. So Kira didn't jump out of the gate with the product as it is today. When you are looking to revolutionize medical care at a crazy time like this, baby steps are what you need. When we first started, it was 100% health educational information that we were providing. Now, because it was chat-based, you know, we had clinicians from all over the country who had signed up and were delivering, you know, answers to folks. In that realm, it's very different to where you're not providing medical advice quite yet. You're providing educational information to start. So that was how we ended up thinking about, okay, this is the types of questions folks are asking, things around, you know, SDI, birth control, fertility options, and different things. And then our goal was to eventually go into telemedicine and delivering, you know, prescriptions, doing consultations and things like that. This was an endeavor we were going to take on maybe in the next year, for example. And then COVID happened. Um, And as soon as COVID happened, there was like an increased demand for telemedicine and a lot of folks saying, well, I want to talk to one of these doctors and actually get my prescriptions delivered, get proper access. And that's when we decided to go this route and initiate video and phone call and everything else. Now, at that point, when you go into delivering telemedicine, yes, there's a lot of regulations that come in place as far as state-by-state regulation and things like that. So what we did was we became licensed as a practice of medicine in New York first and then in California, and we were able to expand to 22 other states. Wow, that's really rapid growth. And you really only started this business 
in 2018. Yes. As an entrepreneur, I'm extremely impressed. And I know it takes a lot of funding to get any business off the ground, let alone something that is as technologically complex as Kira. Mm -hmm. How did you get your initial funding? I mean, as you might know, it is super challenging for people of color, especially women of color to get funding. So the process has been really long and tedious, but we got really fortunate to get like amazing folks to support us. So the way it first started was I went out there and I started doing a bunch of pitch competitions. So I won a number of competitions from the first one was at Afrotech 2019. We won the cup. So that was our first real check that we got in. And then we ended up doing another competition with new voices over at CES. And then we did another one at Harvard Business School. So that was kind of the way we started to get additional money. We ended up raising about $100,000 in free money from competitions. So so that's the way we kind of got off the ground and built our product and had our MVP done and everything else. And then, you know, we didn't initially plan to fundraise this year. That's another thing to keep in mind. You know, when we did our MVP and everything else, we were like, okay, let's do it slowly and kind of get traction and stuff. But then, like I said, when we entered the telemedicine route, it was more, this is more complicated. This requires more money. And for us to scale and grow, we need to get additional funding. So the first funds that we got, we were part of a program out in Philly called Launch Lane with the University Science Center to do something that was in the university space to provide jobs to Philly area folks and things like that. So that's what we started to get our first money in. And then from there, I had actually met someone from 500 startups. So Clayton Bryan, he ended up being my investment lead. So I met him at Afrotech which is super cool because it's kind of like the ripple effects. Like you do this and then you meet someone and then they come in um, and then everything else kind of ties in. Yeah. Networking. It really pays off. You keep those relationships going. Absolutely. (laughs) It does pay off. So 500 startups ended up coming into our round and kind of really kicked off the rest of the fundraise. So when they came in, Clayton actually introduced me to the folks at Serena Ventures, who then introduced me to the folks at Bumble. Like Crystal said, no one expected to be raising venture capital funds this year, but Crystal's mission was a perfect fit for one team of investors, Bumble Fund and Serena Ventures, a VC fund helmed by world-class athlete Serena Williams. In early 2018, Serena Williams welcomed her baby girl Olympia into the world. Yet during her postpartum hospital stay, Serena almost died after her pain and concerns were dismissed by the medical staff around her. Unfortunately, this is not an isolated incident. Black women are three to four times more likely than white women to die from pregnancy-related complications in the United States. Studies show that this has nothing to do with the health of the women themselves. It all boils down to the care that they receive. Serena's story is proof that we have to take our health care into our own hands. So this year, Bumble Fund and Serena Ventures came together and dedicated a round of funding to entrepreneurs who are confronting these inequities in healthcare head on. Sybil from Bumble tells us why this initiative is so important. Bumble Fund primarily invests in businesses that are founded and led by women of color. So that is an important criteria for us. We also ask every applicant what problem their company is trying to solve and how that problem disproportionately affects women. That can mean a number of things. It can mean that the 
company is disrupting an industry that has traditionally been led by men, it can mean that their end consumer is a woman and they're addressing her needs in a new way. There's so many ways you can interpret that, but ultimately what we're looking to see is whether this founder, um, this leadership team, and the company embodies the Bumble values and applies it to an area where they have expertise and are building a business that will have impact in the world. You know, from there, we ended up getting additional funding from five other investors. We're still in the process of closing some of those deals, but yeah, it's been a great process. And I would say we ended up oversubscribing our round, uh, which is super cool because we didn't expect to raise any money in COVID. You know, so we're one of the very fortunate few that were able to actually raise money in this time. And I believe a lot of it could be attributed to the increase in demand for telemedicine and the importance of it specifically in this time. So we're, we're very fortunate to be kind of first movers in this space because it is kind of where the world is heading. Yeah, it's it's interesting when all of those elements line up. Like right. you couldn't have seen COVID coming and the need for telemedicine increasing that dramatically. And at the same time, Serena Ventures and Bumble Fund were really looking for companies in the healthcare industry to address this gap that was happening. So it's exciting to see how that all lined up for you. But I know rapid growth can be challenging for entrepreneurs because you're innovating completely in motion, but it seems to have paid off for you. I mean, I saw you were named one of Forbes 30 under 30 in healthcare and this is all happening. (laughs) You're 27 years old. (laughs) Yes, I am. I was like, I put my age out there. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> You're at an age where it's like, it's good to share the age, of course, <laughs> right. because the amount that you've accomplished in such a small time, you started your first business when you were in college and here you are. And it seems to really be led out of wanting to change the world and wanting to be of service and offer something that really can help people. Right. Although, of course, the money doesn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. As a woman of color, I can't even begin to tell you what Bumble Fund and Serena Ventures funding initiative means to me. It says there is money out here for women to build their dreams. Crystal and her co-founder, Dr. Candace Frazier, fit the bill just right. I am extremely impressed by your commitment to diversity and making sure that Black women, women of color, that they're able to be seen and heard. Right. Would you say that that is something within your organization that is also important as you are looking at hiring and messaging and your entire corporate strategy? Yes, our entire corporate strategy is to increase access for underrepresented people, um, people from diverse backgrounds. So I would say, so for myself, like I mentioned, I'm an immigrant. I'm from Nigeria. My co-founder, Dr. Candace Fraser, she's an OBGYN and she's actually from Trinidad. So we're both immigrants. That's a huge thing. And a lot of what we discuss on a regular basis, the way we plan out all the hiring and all the messaging, like you just said, and everything else is around how do we make sure folks are included in these conversations, specifically, you know, women of color who 
are not usually mentioned. Like when we think about all our competitors, a lot of focus is not on women of color and specifically like in the women's health space, but also, you know, cultural competency is very serious and important. You know, when you think about people from different like socioeconomic backgrounds and race and as well as like religion and things like that, we try to make sure we include folks who typically are not in the conversation in those things. Talk to me about the collaboration with different universities and how you even began to initiate those conversations and make those deals so that you could bring Kira to college campuses this fall. The way we started thinking about it was, okay, we want to make an impact for the lives of women who are like around 17, 18, all the way to 34. They're about like a younger demographic. So we were like, what's the largest concentration of young people who would be making independent decisions as young adults and going through different things? And we decided, well, it isn't college, especially like in my situation or based on my story and other folks that I talked to around the line and all the research we did around the effects of not having proper health care in college, it became important to go that route. So the way we've kind of done it is, you know, engage with directors of student health services, directors of counseling, or like the VPs of student services in general to kind of explain to them that this is something that's important. You know, women's health is super complex and being able to provide these type of services to your young women would have a general ripple effect on the health of your entire college campus population anyway. At first look, cultural competence or the ability to understand, communicate with, and effectively interact with people across cultures may not seem like the most pressing strategy to improve healthcare for all. However, culture plays a huge part in the way that we treat each other, communicate pain and illness, and even how we collect data. Cultural competence is the key to creating synergy between all of the moving parts of the Kira business model. Young women, the universities where these women are enrolled, and the clinicians that provide healthcare through the platform. We're also providing universities with reports. So reports around like the number of students who signed up, you know, the types of questions they're asking, how often, everything from are they doing more chats or are they doing more virtual visits or are they getting prescriptions, providing the metrics needed for school, for example, to properly understand their population. So on an aggregated population health basis, uh, we're able to provide them with that. So then they know, well, there might be an STI outbreak on your campus. How do you mitigate that? Or, you know, even in this case, like with the spread of COVID, that could be something that they're looking into understanding. And those are some of the things we're able to provide the schools with. So super cool in the aspect of, you know, the universities themselves getting that information and being more informed to be able to do the things that are important to the students. Because a lot of what we see is folks trying to provide resources that they think is what the students need versus what the students actually need. Um, So we're able to do that. And then, of course, we have this amazing experience for the students themselves created in collaboration with students. So we did a lot of research around students, asked questions. Everything we've done has been based on what students have asked for. And also, like I said, the access. When you think about, you know, the different methods. So like for prescription delivery, we have like both like synchronous and asynchronous methods of getting prescription delivered where you can like go through a bunch of questions. If you cannot do like a live visit, you can still be able to get something done. 
So, yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure it's more efficient also for the healthcare providers. Um, I mean, it definitely is. You know, what we're seeing, we've seen a high supply of providers in this time. So we typically put out like applications for providers to become care uh, caregivers. So the way it is, you know, we're receiving like 50, 60 applications every day. And that clearly shows you that a lot of providers are looking for ways to one, deliver care virtually, right? But also do it at their own time, possibly from the comfort of their home without even being exposed to like COVID, for example. So it makes it very easy for them to one, make extra income while still doing the thing that they love to do. And, you know, being part of this, they're making a huge impact, right? So we're seeing a lot of folks. So it's now at the time where we're like, we have a lot of providers who like we've made this process so easy for. Now it's time to jump in and get more users so they have enough work to do. (laughs) Yeah, there's always room to grow. But it's clear you've done something right. And you've stepped into a lane that is very needed, that you're providing a service that people really want and need and are going to even probably need more as we continue to evolve our healthcare system. So looking at all of the funding that you've received and the the various sources that you have, and I know Bumble Fund focuses on early stage investments and their average check sizes are 50,000 plus. So I'm sure a lot of our listeners are sitting here being like, 50 to 100 grand. Well, I could do so much with that. I'm curious to know how you've been able to make an impact with that funding that you've received from Serena Ventures and Bumble Fund, how it's actually impacted the growth and the process that you're going through at Kira. Yeah. So I would say it's been, of course, like a huge impact based on that. Like I said, a lot of women of color are not able to raise the type of capital that they need. We see our male and male white counterparts, you know, raising a lot of money, but we find ourselves making a lot of impact with a little. So I would say what we've done is, of course, like we've done a lot of improvements to the actual product, hired an additional staff from the technology side as well as the sales side. So I would say, you know, prior to getting the investments, our capacity was very slim. We're doing everything kind of like piecing things together and doing the best we could. We started fundraising like four months ago. And like I mentioned, we ended up oversubscribing. So we got more money in than we expected to. So what that meant was our team just grew overnight, hiring a lot more people, you know, that has helped, you know, even scale our customer acquisition a lot because we were going into this year thinking, okay, well, we're probably going to do like one or two customers and we'll be fine with that. But now we're going to a place where we're even saying, okay, this end of the year already, we're talking to like 10, 20 people. And you mean like universities, you're not saying individuals, you're saying each of those clients represents hundreds and even thousands of students that are getting your service. Absolutely. There's so much that a little can do to get you further. You know, I would say maybe I was having like one customer meeting like every month or something. Like I'm saying, like now I'm having like five, six, seven, and I'm like, oh, wow, like I'm becoming a little overwhelmed, (laughs) Um, but in a good way, because what that means is, you know, going into the new year, we're going in stronger. And, you know, what that means for our revenue generation in such a short time is a lot compared to what we would have done with no money. So money is good, (laughs) right? Um, But what money coming in in this stage does is allow you to actually make money. 
right? So that's kind of where we're at to the point where we're, you know, getting more customers and trying to prepare ourselves to what's it's going to look like for the spring. Like I said, we've done a lot of hiring. We've improved our product tremendously. And we're in this phase where it's like growth, growth, growth. You know, it's kind of like you go through the fundraising round and you're like, okay, we're done. Now let's focus back on product building and sales. So. Yeah. yeah, you went through the fundraising and people think, oh, I got it. Now, now I'm good. But then you have to figure out how to, how to use it, how to implement it, and then how you grow just as you've done. Yeah. The way that we end every episode is we like to ask for advice. Everyone loves advice. Could you share the last or the best piece of advice that you either gave or received? I like to say like closed mouths don't get fed. So the more you put yourself out there, the more you ask questions, the more you're asking for help, the more you grow. So, you know, when I think about us as a company, like we're two years old and the things that we've done, it's my company. So I guess I get to say this, (laughs) the things that we've done have been so great in such a short time compared to a lot of folks who've done this same exact thing for about six, seven years. And the reason we've been able to scale hasn't been because we're the best people, the best company, we have the most money. It's just because we've had people in front of us that have done this and have hit roadblocks. And we've been able to ask enough questions to learn from their mistakes. I think it's very important because what you find is, you know, there's people who just are like, oh, I'm the first mover. So I'm going to try everything and then fail at everything and figure it out. But for us, it was more, what did you do well? And let's do that. And then what did you not do well? And let's find ways to do it better, iterate on it. So we're not making the same exact types of mistakes, but what we're doing is even learning from everyone who's been in the space before us and scaling a lot faster. Sometimes we get the message as women, and particularly as women of color, not to be too loud or demand too much. But as Crystal said, closed mouths don't get fed. I would say the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Look, pick your favorite analogy, but the bottom line is don't be afraid to rock the boat. We learned so much from Crystal today. If you want something done right, you have to do it yourself. Whatever challenges you are currently facing, chances are someone like you could use a solution too. There is money out there for you to build your dreams. You just have to find the right investor who is personally connected with your product. Immigrants, they get the job done. Shout out to all of the people who make the country stronger by bringing their worldview, experience, and solutions into the work they do. Check out the Bumble Fund online to see which other amazing businesses received funding this round and to find out how your business might qualify for the next round of funding. And in the meantime, download Bumble Biz to network with other entrepreneurs just like you. This is the final episode of season three of I Make a Living. Look out for new episodes dropping in the spring. This podcast was brought to you by FreshBooks, the number one cloud accounting solution for small business owners and their teams. We've got your back. The tools FreshBooks provides can give you the info and the time you need to focus on your big picture, your business, team, and clients. Check out the exclusive offer that's just for you, our podcast listeners. That's at freshbooks.com slash I-M-A-L. Again, that's freshbooks.com slash I-M-A-L, short for I Make a Living. Our audio engineer and composer is James Morris. Our associate producer is Leo Shell Villanueva. 
Our producer and director is Paco Erzmendi, and I'm your host and producer, Demona Hoffman. While we're busy in the lab making new episodes for you, I would love to stay in touch. You can find me on all of the socials at Demona Hoffman or at DemonaHoffman.com. And be bold. Get that MVP out into the marketplace because it's your business. See you next season.